Welcome back to Inside Voices, a podcast by teachers for teachers, where we talk about all things education from top technology tips all the way through to pedagogical practices. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm David. And remember that in here, we use our inside voices. Now, this week's episode is all about something I think should be at the top of every teacher's to-do list, and that is teacher well-being and how we take care of that, you know, managing the workload. At the moment, there is an alarming rate of teachers leaving the profession, and that seems to be a, a global issue. Yeah. And it seems to also be teachers who are in their kind of first five years mm-hmm. of, of the profession. So a question for you, David, to start us off is going to be, what is something that you do every week or every day to sort of take care of your own well-being and something that promotes that side of things for you. So I've got like a serious one and maybe a kind of non-serious one. My non-serious one is Starbucks. It has like... Of course. Every Absolutely. week. I don't know if it is a non-serious one though because we go every week and one of us goes and gets a coffee on a Friday. So it's like yep. a little treat on a Friday, something to look forward to. It's something that I like doing yeah it, it maybe is a bit expensive for a coffee but it's something that i look forward to so i i don't know i think it is serious and it's not serious but it's definitely starbucks the serious one for me was i made a conscious decision when i was in my probation year um my first year of teaching sorry and the conscious decision was never to work on the weekends i don't really think about that because sometimes i do find myself on a sunday night you know, marking homework or uploading homework to Microsoft Teams or something. And I'm not as strict with it as I once was, but I made the decision that for my well-being, I was not going to be taking work home on the weekends. And to be honest, very rarely take work home um, during the week as well. Now, there's a caveat to that. I don't have a family. I don't have a wife and I don't have children. I live very close to my school. There's all these different kind of caveats to that but I think generally that's the one that keeps well-being in check for me I'm not letting my workload over like overwhelm me yeah I think you make a good point though by saying everyone's home life is really different so Mm -hmm. it sort of depends on that but also in terms of taking work home that was so much easier before covid because at least certainly our experience a lot of the things were paper-based before covid yeah and I always think you know if you take your work into your house you're sort of disrupting your space for relaxation and whatever you like to do in your home to just chill out. Exactly. But when things are paper-based, you know, it's easier to say, I'm not taking that stack of books home and carrying them out the school and then bringing them back where you made a good point that we upload homework to, you know, Microsoft Teams. Mm-hmm. Your laptop's just sitting there. So it can be really tempting. And I think totally. the temptation is there to just, oh, I'll just do a quick half an hour on here. I'll just quickly mark this. I'll quickly upload this. And it is really tempting because I'm the same. I try not to do things over the weekend. But I really, the last two Sundays, I've sat and marked the homework at you know six o'clock at night mm-hmm. and then sorted the next weeks because it's there. Yeah. And if I can get it out of the way before Monday, then that sort of helps in the long run of the week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you got to find the joy in the little things, don't you? Because we're talking about the kind of Starbucks side yeah. of things. I know it might sound a little bit silly, but you do have to find the joy in the little things that you do yeah. that make you, you know, you play a lot of football, you do a lot of sports to support that well-being side of things as well. Whereas, I mean, you you play your sports until like 11 o'clock I at night. play football. Like. Well, he takes it very seriously. 
<laughs> until like 11 o'clock at night though and I'm like yeah. I'm, I've been in my bed for like three hours at that I know, point we play we play because just the way that the time works we play half nine to half ten on a Wednesday night right in the middle of the week and to be honest on Thursday mornings I am flagging because we get in I get in the house at like half eleven and you're still kind of buzzing from football and it's yeah it's not great but it is something that I enjoy doing and yeah. I I made the conscious decision as well when I became a teacher that I wasn't going to let it overtake. Okay, it has overtaken my personality, I suppose, but I wasn't going <laughs> to let it overtake my complete social life. So in your first year of teaching, it is very intense. And I think a lot of people allow themselves to be overwhelmed by that. Whether that's because they don't have, you know, good mentors or people around them giving a good advice, I don't know. But then you need to in that first year of teaching you need to set out parameters for this is what my career is going to look like for the next five years this is what i'm going to be as a professional i don't want to be the person that's working until eight o'clock at night every single night i don't want to be the person that is taking work home on the weekend every single weekend i don't want to be the person that is blown off my friends and telling them i can't i can't come to things because you know, I've got work to do or I can't make social events because I've got this and that to do. The work will always be there and you need to make those conscious decisions. It's like blurred boundaries, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're someone with clear boundaries of like you're saying, I'm not taking work home. I'm not taking work home at the weekends. And that's no judgment to anyone who does, of course, take work home or Absolutely. do work at their houses because everyone is different. You know, you'll see it in your schools. There's people who, like you said, have families and children to go home to and they, they go and collect them. They have to go and collect them from school. They have or, to go at half three. They have to run out the door yeah, and get them from nursery. Child care. And I honestly take my hats off to people who can do that because yeah. I would be exhausted. I don't know how they do it. No, but then they have no choice, you know, to take something home or work mm -hmm. lunch or work break, whatever it is they need to do, because that's just where their boundaries are. But I think if you're not clear in your boundaries and saying, okay, I'm okay with working one lunchtime a week or two lunchtimes a week of or, course. you know, I would rather work my lunch than stay later. So yeah. if I'm having a really busy day, I would rather just quickly grab something and go up and then I can go earlier. And, you know, you and I both prefer to be in earlier. That's our boundary and that's what we stick to. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like you said, in your first year of teaching, you're adjusting to so many things. Yeah. And one of the things is your own kind of schedule. So we don't have contract hours as such. You know, we have our contracted hours that we have to complete, but it's up to us when we complete them. Whereas in America, I think their contract hours are like, you know, 3.30 and they they go. Yeah. If they stay beyond that, they're working beyond their contract. Whereas ours... Yeah, ours aren't. is like, you've got 35 hours, you've got 40 hours, whatever it is. Work them within the week. Like, you're obviously going to be in school time. Yeah. But you can do three hours at the end of a day or you can do two hours before a day or you can do half an hour here, you can work your lunch. It's very flexible uh, in Scotland, which is quite good. I would say, like, shout out my mentor from, like... <laughs> I don't know if everyone does this. In in Scotland, we get, in our first year, we get a job given to us, mm -hmm. which is amazing, um, for a year. So it's a year contract in a school, paid, that kind of thing. And with that, you get a mentor. So you get a member of staff, whether that's management or whether that is a senior member of staff that mentors you throughout that whole year, which is, to be honest, one of the best things I think about the teaching profession in Scotland because mm -hmm. it is such a good support. Now, my mentor was incredible, shout out Catherine. She genuinely helped me get through that first year. She was so friendly, she was so helpful. Um, she 
had a meeting with me every single week. We worked through interview processes. We did mock interviews, like we did job applications. She really gave me the time, but she also helped me set those parameters and realize that teaching is not my whole life. Yeah. And that was really important for me starting because I could have let it completely take over. Take over. It's easy to let it take over, but obviously there's occasions where sometimes you do let it take over. We're all guilty of it. As much as I'm sitting here saying I don't take work home on the weekends, we're all guilty of having experienced something close to a burnout Mm -hmm. or at least feeling overwhelmed. The start of the year is always overwhelming for me because you just don't know where to begin with things. You're trying to adjust to your new class, get used to how they work, adapt your classroom management and a whole ton of paperwork at the start of the year. So if there's ever been a time you've been in that situation where you felt overwhelmed or you felt close to kind of burning out, what is it that you would do to kind of bring yourself back? So this happened to me, I think it happens every year at some point, and it's usually around winter. The yes. nights are really dark. That sounds so stupid. The nights are dark. Of course, the nights are dark. <laughs> it's dark at night, is flash. Yeah. yeah, it's dark at night and it's light during the day. No, um, it's it, obviously it's getting dark at like four o'clock. You're waking up and it's dark when you get to work. So really, it's just dark all the time. And it, it is quite depressing. It's not great. It's cold. You go home and it's cold. <laughs> like school's cold. Like it's just not great. And also you have a lot of things to get through in the winter. So the run up to Christmas or the winter holidays is fine. It's busy. It's crazy. You've got shows. You've got like everything going on with Christmas. You've got the nativity going on. You've got all that craziness, but it's fun and you're into it. The minute you come back in January, it's like the same weather, if not worse, the same amount of daylight, (laughs) the same cold, and it gets pretty rubbish because you've not got stuff to look forward to in the same sense as you did at Christmas. So for me, uh, looking at that and realizing that every year was the first step, like this year was the first step I kind of took stock and was like, okay, you know that in February, you're not going to be enjoying your job as much as you were in August yeah, or in September or in June when everything's winding down. Take stock of that and realize that that is the case. Realize that, okay, it comes in peaks and troughs. It's a roller coaster. And you're going to have to put things in place to make sure that you're still knowing that you want to do the job. Like, it's so easy to think that teaching is rubbish in February. Yeah. And it's so easy to think, I want to quit and I want to do something else. And, you know, this is too much. But then in June, you're like, oh, the sun's out and everything's great. And we're out on the pitch and we're playing rounders. And for me, I think taking stock of that was the first step. And then putting things in place. So in February, for example, I made sure I was going home and going straight to the gym. Like, I don't do that right now, unfortunately. (laughs) But that for me, in the run up to summer, I was like, I want to feel good for summer. I want to be in the gym three or four days a week. And I just made that commitment. And it was like a little dark cave that you just went into. And you just, and it was great for me because obviously the benefits of going to the gym and everything. So that was a decision I made. That's not going to be the decision everyone makes. But it was the decision I made for my own mental well-being, Mm -hmm. my own health, that Okay, four o'clock comes, five o'clock comes, I'm out of this building and I'm straight to the gym. I don't go home, I've got my stuff with me and I just get it done 45 minutes and I'll feel the benefit from that. Yeah, it's funny it? It's funny you mentioned that because I actually remember, I remember the time of year you're talking about because obviously we are, we're good friends and we speak about these things quite often. So That's what you think. Yeah, 
I thought that anyway before we started this. Business partners. <laughs> But we do, we speak, we are stay in touch and we speak about these things quite mm-hmm. often. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the time of year because it seems to be everyone feels that way or most people feel that way at that time of year. But having a good teacher support network, I think, is oh, yeah. really important. When I started teaching something, I learned really quickly as I think teaching is quite a misunderstood job. And through no fault of people's own, you know, our experience of teachers when we are at school is you go in, you're taught by your teacher, they mark your books you go home and they go home. And that's that's what you see surface level teaching. And I think that's still what a lot of people perceive teaching and the profession to be. You know, even when I started teaching my family and friends, we don't have any teachers in our family, at least on my side of the family. My husband's Cannot side of the family do. relate. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but on, on my side of the family, at least, there's no teachers. So when I started teaching, I remember like even my parents been, you know, were you still doing work at six o'clock at night? You know, what do you mean you're going to a meeting? They didn't know that's what it entailed mm-hmm. so and you know sometimes people's eyes your experience of teaching is what you're used to at school or what you're used to with your children being at school it's not the actual job role itself you know what people see on the surface level is very much the tip of the iceberg you know that analogy you see where you can see the iceberg and then underneath is everything else that yeah people are doing I mean, I suppose you could say that about every job, but usually in jobs, you've got a, a specialist role. You know, you're in sales or you're in marketing or you're in mm-hmm. whatever aspect of the company you're in. Whereas in teaching, you have to do it all. You know, you have to... You have to wear so many hats. Yeah, that one, again, a classic analogy, you wear all the hats as a teacher because you're spending all your time teaching the kids. But then under that, you have so much to do. And I think having someone who's in the profession who you can speak to about that, who understands it, is really, really important because people don't see it. You obviously, it's you see, again, the surface level, you don't yep. see what actually goes on. So having someone you can truly speak to, and I think this conversation is really important to have for that reason, that a lot of the time we sit in the staff room and we have a laugh and we talk about things, but we don't get to that sort of deeper conversation mm-hmm. of how are you actually doing? You know, If we're all feeling the same way at some point in the year, it's good to have... somebody you can go and speak to about that and kind of remind you of what you said that it comes in peaks and troughs and okay you might be down right now but there's going to be something good coming Mm -hmm. and with that being said there's a lot of great things about this job you wouldn't be sitting here doing this if there wasn't so what do you think are the best parts that sort of pull you in when you're in that low point what do you think is going to make it better when you're looking for the the sort of highs of the job so before we answer that question can we just analyse the fact that your your thing that made you feel better was community and teacher <laughs> friends and helping each other and leaning on one another and going deep with the conversation. And mine was going to the gym. The gym and Starbucks. <laughs> the gym and Starbucks. <laughs> and we've you not prepped this conversation. That is the two things that came to my mind. You do what makes you happy. You That's do what worrying. makes you happy. Anyway, um, what was the question again? <laughs> Yeah, the the one thing that, what was the question that I would pull out? Yeah, the sort of highs of the job, the things that you think are the peaks. Okay. Yes, staff connection and, and the friendships that you can make within staff, I think is for me a benefit. Like obviously we become friends through our job, we didn't know each other before that. And we've got other people in work that we are quite close to and across schools. So it's not just every other school that you've worked in or been a student in. That is a great benefit of the job, the community aspect of it the children like of course I would say the best thing about teaching is seeing the difference you're making in young people's lives every day 
and taking stock of looking back over a year and thinking, wow, you were such a different person a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I've had a small part to play in that. Like I'm not bigging up my involvement in the development of people, but like it's just such a benefit of the job that you are making a difference in someone's life. I always think about it when I think about dinner table conversations. So we used to talk about our teachers all the time at the dinner table. I don't know if you experienced this, like we would talk about teachers. My mum kind of came in and worked in the school. So she knew one or two mm -hmm. teachers, kind of. And we used to talk about them extensively to the point where my dad would just, he just couldn't involve himself in the conversation. He just hated it because it was all school chat. And I think about that all the time because I'm thinking, what are parents, what are children saying about <laughs> me and families? Because we have such an impact in people's lives that we don't really actually realise. I talk about teachers 20 years down the line, still with my brother, I still talk about teachers like 20 years down the line that have probably moved on, moved away, like don't actually remember ever teaching me, but they've had such an impact. So I think one thing that you have to remind yourself of as a teacher constantly is... You're there for the children. You're there to make a difference in their lives. You're there to educate, but also to be that support system <laughs> in their lives. Would you agree? I don't know if Yeah, that's... you totally get a snippet of that, though. I think it's interesting when you're saying, you know, what are people saying? And one of the little things that just makes you realise that, I think if you're having like parent-teacher conferences, if you're doing parents' nights, whatever you're doing, they are really, really long evenings and really long days. So you've taught all day mm -hmm. and then usually parents' nights start pretty soon after the day, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour, and you're going till nine o'clock at night. It's yeah. it's a really long day. Yeah, it's savage. And you're pretty exhausted. But the amount of times you hear, you know, I think sometimes the children don't maybe show up, but like you said, they go home and they talk about it. And you hear them say maybe, you know, they come home and they talk about what they've done all day and they, they talk really excitedly about you and what you've done with them and, you know, how you've made them feel and the difference you've made. And then you start to panic and you're like, what have I said today? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth have I been saying? But that's not something you hear from the children, do you know, like, uh -huh. like you said, it's something you reflect on 10 years down the line. You go, remember that teacher that I really enjoyed being in their class and I really enjoyed the experiences they gave me. Yeah. But when they go home they're given a far more accurate representation of how they actually feel about you. And I think hearing those little things, it just makes you kind of go, okay, I am doing a good job. Because yeah. it's not really a job where you get, not that you need to get praised for what you do, it's your job. You come and you do your job. You don't need praise for doing your job well. But it's not really a job where you get that. You know, you might hear the children say, oh, you're the best teacher ever. Or you're, yeah, you know, you think, yeah, okay, you'll know. say that to your teacher <laughs> yeah. next year as well. Yeah. Like, I, I know that. But to hear those little snippets of praise mm -hmm. from parents or carers or even like children who come back to visit you after, you know, a couple of years of being away, being at high school, it just makes everything seem a bit more worth it. Not mm -hmm. that it's not worth it without that, but I said it's a long day and if you're in that slump, but someone gives you that little boost, it can make such a big difference to your well-being and how you're feeling. Yeah. And it can just make you realise, like you said, the children are at the heart of it. Yeah. I think as well, to answer your question about what you should be lifting yourself up with and reminding yourself of, I mean, it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you're in those times of, and we wouldn't discount kind of anyone's situation um, and how hard it can be for teachers, it, it can be really, really tough in some schools and in some classes and circumstances, people's life's circumstances, can just all pile in at once and we're not discounting any of that obviously 
But what you said about networking and having teacher supports is so important. Having the backing of your management is important mm -hmm. and that's something we've benefited from. But I think equally as important is having teacher friends, not just teacher colleagues. Yeah. Okay, your work friends are slightly different from your life friends or whatever, but I think having someone that's going through the same experiences as you, that's going through the same, like they're seeing what you're going through, they're seeing the difficulties that you're having or they're seeing you know, what your class are like or how much paperwork you've got to do or any heat you're getting from, you know, parents or managers, like whatever it is you're going through, they're seeing that and you need to lean on them and you need to find those people. Whether that's in your school or not is a different thing. There's lots of communities online that people lean on. There's friends that you might have across an authority or across a council that you've met at different things or you know from different places. I know I've got lots of friends in different schools that I've worked in that I could go with, that I could go to, sorry. And and if I needed to, I could go and rely on them for support. You also need to be that person to someone else. Yeah. You need to open the conversation with that person as well. If you notice, you know, yep. they're sitting in the staff room a lot more and not really saying anything or they're sitting in their room and they're not really saying anything just go and check on them. Mm -hmm. Or if you've got a friend who's not in your school and you've not heard from them in a while, send them a message, give them a phone, yep. be that for somebody else and they'll be that for you as well. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes more of an honest yeah. relationship as well. And I think the saying no man is an island applies so much to teaching mm -hmm. because no teacher should be an island. No one should be in a school feeling like I am completely alone. I have no one to support me here. And I'm really struggling with that. You, In an ideal world, you would have a community of people around you that support you in every way. And we've been blessed with that. Um, we've also worked on it. Yeah. So there's, it's like a kind of two-sided coin. Once it's there, you have to nurture it and you have to make time for people. You have to, okay, if someone comes in at the end of the day and you're busy in your class, you're working or whatever, you've got your paperwork and someone needs a 20 minute chat, you have to be there for them and give them that 20 minute chat. If it turns into an hour <laughs> or it turns into an hour and a half, you might be thinking, okay, I've got places to be. But you, in all seriousness, you do need to be there for people as well as yeah. going to the other people in the same circumstance. People that don't like, if I went to my brother about it or if I went to my dad or if I went to anyone else, they wouldn't really understand what I was talking about. Yeah, I could chat to them about it. My brother would give me zero support and we know this Andy yeah <laughs> but uh, it's good because he doesn't even listen to the podcast and he's refused to and if he mentions this I know he will have listened to it so we'll see um but he like he wouldn't know what I was talking about and he'd be like oh every job's stressful which I, is a good point he's a lawyer and that is a stressful job as well you need to talk to people that are in the same circumstances as you and not even like just teachers you need to talk to teachers that are in the same circumstances as mm -hmm. you. So that's why it's good to have people in your school, if you can, and this is like we're talking in ideals, if you can, to rely on and support yeah. each other. I mean, other. we're fortunate in that situation. We're you know, similar ages and we like the same things. We're, we're very similar in personality. So that kind of, that worked for us. But I agree with you that other jobs, every job is stressful. You're absolutely right. You know, I see the work that my friends do. I know their jobs are stressful. But I think one thing that makes teaching quite challenging to discuss with other people in that aspect is obviously what we spoke about earlier with it being quite a misunderstood or misinterpreted job. But also... Oh, you work nine to three? Yeah. And you're like, 
Yeah. Okay. It's really okay. hard to measure success in teaching mm -hmm. because yes, you'll have the same end goal. You know, that's, that's your end goal. Get the children through their school career, nurture them, make sure they're having a positive school experience. But the actual measurement of success in teaching is how do you measure that? You know, okay, mm -hmm. academically, yes. But, you know, in some jobs, there's a monetary bonus at the end of the year. If you've done well, there's statistics, there's all these things that you can look at. But in teaching, it is so much more than that. Yeah. What makes you a successful teacher and what one person sees as success is completely different to what another person sees as success. Mm -hmm. And because of the the lack of ability to judge how you're doing, it can be really hard to not just sit there and go, am I even Am I even doing well for these kids? Am I even doing something that's going to benefit them? Mm -hmm. Am I really making a difference to them? And you question your ability constantly. So having someone to sit you down and say, you know, okay, you maybe didn't have a great day, but these children in your class are safe. Yep. They're happy. They are learning. They're having fun whilst they're learning. That is your measurement of success. And it's not something you can actually, you know, put yep. a number to or put statistics mm -hmm. to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So any teacher advice I would give is go to Starbucks and go to the gym. Go to Starbucks and go to the gym. <laughs> and but yours is so much deeper. <laughs> yeah, definitely if I was giving a piece of advice to a new teacher coming in, one, your to-do list is never going to be done. Yep. Ever. And that's okay. You mm -hmm. know, if your books haven't been marked in two or three days, nothing bad is going to happen. The children will be fine. Yep. You will be fine. You don't need the books marked for the next day. You do not need to be on the latest trends with everything. We said this the last time, but go at your own pace mm -hmm. and just remember that your to-do list is more than just what's on the paper. It's the children who are in front of you and it's getting through the day with them and making sure they're leaving in a place where they have good memories and they're learning happily. It's not about having everything checked off every single day yep. and find the joy in the little things and a good support network. Exactly. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Inside Voices. Make sure that you tune in next week for our next episode, which is all about classroom management. And remember that in here, we use our inside voices. Wait.